good, all that is sacred, and in the warm and loving energy of this community, Spiritual Life Center. If you're joining us for the first time, we especially want to welcome you because we know that you are not here by accident. You're here by divine appointment. Thank you for joining us on your unique path today, and we hope you enjoy this special message from this past Sunday's service. All right, it's that time of the year again. It's Christmas again. Seemed like we just had a Christmas. I remember earlier on in my ministerial career, and I was kind of fresh behind, you know, the ears, so to speak, and speaking, you know, during the holiday season. And there was a friend who had brought someone to the uh, spiritual community for a service, you know, experience, something similar to this. And that particular person had not been involved in any kind of spiritual community for a long time. And so a friend convinced her to come check this out uh, this day. And she came, and I found out later that she had a, a negative reaction to a word that I had used. And uh, she was kind of turned off by it, so to speak. And so as a result, uh, which I understood because I used to have the same sort of allergy to the word. <laughs> and that word was the Christ. So she heard that word and bolted out of there. I took notice. But her friend convinced her to come back and give it another shot. And of course she did. And she realized after being there for a while that when we utilize that word, at least in our tradition, the Christ was not about a person. It's not his last name, as I like to say. It wasn't like, you know, we're going to get up on Christmas and we're going to go have a dinner with the Christ family. But when we talk about the Christ, we're talking about that spirit of God within each and every one of us. It is the divine. And he lived out that presence that we call the Christ so completely that we called Jesus, Jesus, the Christ. It's a title that's bestowed upon all of us if we decide to accept it. You know, I was been watching uh, a series that my son has been had watched years ago. I didn't realize that you know I'm about ten or eleven years behind because that's when the series started. But you know, you know, better late than never. So we were watching this uh, series called The Game of Thrones, and uh, I have to tell you, I'm glad I didn't live in medieval times. It was very interesting times back then. But they used to have this phrase they would give to individuals who maybe were higher up in the hierarchy, and they would say things like, the Lord, and they would say, oh, my Lord, or my lady. That was the title that they had given those individuals. But this Christ presence is something that's in all of us. And so when we look at the birth of Jesus, we're not merely dealing with a man that revealed the presence of God sometime way long ago. We're dealing with a divine spiritual blueprint 
the identity that's within each and every one of us. And sometimes we have to get a call to be reminded that what this identity is. <laughs> but we talk about the idea that this individual was magnificent, but specifically he was an example for all of us, which is the reason that we call him the great example and not the great exception. Now, no question, this individual was exceptional, but he reminded us that which is within him is also encased within each and every one of us. It's part of our soul. It's part of our, as I call, our spiritual DNA because we got some diviners' genes within us. I remember a time I was having a conversation with someone who uh, was, you know, I would say an agnostic, didn't have any kind of religious belief or spiritual beliefs at all. You know, this thought this was a random universe that we lived in and so forth. So we're going back and forth about different ideas about who this great model was for us to follow as one of the many avatars that we can. And, and he said, well, it was not really anything special about him. And he, 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 he was just something different from all of us. And so we were going back and forth, having a very you know, polite debate, unlike the debates that we often have today. And uh, I finally pulled out the big guns. I said, you know, he said that all the things that I have done, you can do as well. And he said to me, well, I wish he had not said that. <laughs> you know, we have a tendency to think that this eternal presence is something that happened 2,000 years ago. And perhaps one day it will come again. But we often forget that presence is not something that happened long ago, as I mentioned, that's going to come back one day because it's never went anywhere. It's always been here. That's why the master teacher said something to the effect, before Abraham was, I am. When he talked about the I am, what he's really talking about, the ancient universal name of God, the spirit of God in all of us. And so the greatest way to celebrate Christmas or to celebrate the mass celebration of the Christ, is to acknowledge that presence is within us. And so the message of Advent, which we're going through this, these four weeks before Christmas, is to help us remember that. Because this message is a message of service. It's a message of compassion. It's a message of beauty and generosity. It's a message of radiance and creativity and peace and givingness of the heart is the message of unconditional love. So this week's topic of Advent, of course, is love, which is sometimes hard to define because there's so many different levels and interpretations of what it is. But I've landed on the idea that love is when we support our own or another person's spiritual growth, or we support our own or another's well-being to grow and develop and unfold to the highest potential that we are. And oftentimes when we do that for another, we also benefit. You know, there was, during a Christmas season, there was a mother and a daughter standing in line at a store. And she was about nine years old, and she asked her mother for some money to buy some candy. And the mother said, well, no. And she said no. And she came back and asked again. And she said no. She asked again, and she said no. And she asked again. So, so finally she gave up, and she bought the candy for her. And then, surprisingly, the girl stopped, and she turned around after she had gotten the candy and handed it to a little boy. And that little boy was crying in the line behind her. 
And the mother asked her, why did you give that to him? And the girl said, you know, she heard the boy's mom tell him that they didn't have any money left for candy anymore for this Christmas. And that she was going to have to get an extra job in order to work and to support the family. And so she decided that she would do something for another individual. And when she did that, she said, I now feel better. You know, there's a principle that says that, you know, whatever we give out, we keep. Oftentimes, I would say that oftentimes when we give something to someone else, even if it's tangible, they only get the copy. We keep the original. And I think that example was simply an example of gift of love and action. And it's the answer, the antidote to many of the challenges that we face in our world. You know, we hear the line from St. Francis of Sissy that says, where there is hatred, let me sow love. It is the assignment of this generation that unifies all of humanity. You know, His Holiness Dalai Lama indicated, like I said, that, you know, individuals who, who choose this, who choose love, who choose compassion, will be the radicals of this age. Because this is what we need in our world today, and to usher in a new way of being in the world. So it's not simply a platitude. It's not merely a nice thing. It's seeing that potential, that divine potential in everyone. Because if we stop seeing it in anyone around us, then the light begins to go off within us. And I mentioned earlier that, you know, there's a movement and I would say probably a a huge conference, a gathering every several years called the Parliament of World Religions. And I know the last time it happened in Utah, several folks from here went there. And you have folks from practically every religion across the planet, some I've known, some I've never heard of before. And I remember I went to the Parliament in Barcelona, Spain, a number of years ago. And they had a pre-conference that was going on as well. And in this pre-conference, they were talking about how to eliminate religious violence. And there were mothers and, and, and women from Palestine and Israel. And the representatives of the two groups began to explain how they decided to come together because they wanted to break down the barriers that separated them. They did this as the leaders of their respective countries were still engaged in conflict over land, over other things. And it resulted in the death of many of the women's children. And at that particular event, the women explained how they mourned together, even though they were so-called on different sides, how they shared with each other, how they broke bread together how they shared their common pain of losing family members to the conflicts that had been taking place over several years. But they had a common vision, a common goal, to never lose a loved one again and to find ways to peacefully build bridges between their two countries. I don't do any justice to how they shared and what impact it had, but it was emotionally moving for many of the people who were there that day because they demonstrated what it means to move beyond beliefs that had been taught about one another so they could work together for the common good of both because they're part of one human family, one spiritual family. And they demonstrated how it means to rise above the seeming differences in religions and nationality 
and become open to fresh insights, fresh revelations, and realize that they simply are one part of one whole. It was a reminder that divine love creates universal unity. And it's our ability to think and to feel that oneness. And I think our task as radicals of this age, as the Dalai Lama suggests, is to move into that universal unity, that sense of oneness that we all are. So we may be asking, you know, where in my part of the world can I do this? I can't, you know, change the whole world, but we can do our little part where we are. And sometimes it's just small things like moving from a space of mere toleration of someone else that we do not like. And, you know, I never always tell people sometimes when folks are tolerating another individual, that might be a very high thing because they moved out of, you know, just having resentment or a level of prejudice or separation from them. And maybe they can tolerate that person. And that's usually okay. But we want to come along further than that. We want to move to the next level. We don't want to stop there. You know, we don't want to have the point where we say, you know, I can tolerate that person's energy maybe for about three or four or five minutes at the most, and then I got to go. But as we begin to work, we're called to do, to bring forth this energy. Our heart expands, as it was pointed out in that meditation, to move from mere toleration to a level of acceptance. Where toleration, it's, there's, there's maybe just a little heart opening, but when we accept someone, we're accepting on a bigger level and we're opening up our spiritual arms to them. And then we may move to the next level where we move beyond acceptance to respecting. When we accept and respect and begin to amplify our awareness of our inherent connection. And then maybe we move to a point of appreciation because we're here to appreciate all of the expressions of the creator. And when we appreciate the feel of the divine love and, and, and lay the groundwork for lasting peace in our communities and on our planet, we begin to move to a point where the world works for everyone. So to deepen that sense of unity and to feel that oneness, we listen or more appropriately, we practice what the master teacher taught when he said, pray for those who spitefully use you, to love those who hate you. In other words, he went on to say, if you love those only who you love, what have you really done? He said, not much. It reminded me of a story about a man named Al. Um, is that Siri? Or Google, can't remember which. Um, anyway, Al was betrayed by a longtime friend. They call him Polly. And Al went to his spiritual advisor asking you know, how he should deal with this portrayal because it really devastated him. And his advisor told him, well, pray for Polly. And Al said, I don't want to pray for him. I want to pray on him, P-R-E-A-P-R-E-Y. In other words, he had bad intentions towards this guy. And he didn't want to do that. And the guy told him, well, if you're going to start a prayer, you know, you can start the prayer any way that you want to do that. And so he reluctantly, Al decided, said, okay, I'm going to pray for him. And so this is how he started his prayer. 
Well, if Al doesn't fall and break his neck first, <laughs> may Paulie be well and live a long and prosperous life. And he began to say that prayer over and over again. He always started out with that preamble. If he doesn't break his neck first, take note of that, God. May Paulie be well and live a long and prosperous life. But then eventually he began to drop that first part. And he settled on praying for Paulie simply to be well, to simply live a long and prosperous life. And after a while, he forgot about what he was upset about toward him. Something within him transformed. And he began to feel that connection that he always had with him. His life apparently was uplifted by the power of that affirmative prayer, that connecting prayer with that individual. You know, in a small way, he was one of the radicals of our age. He was doing his part in that part of the universe to be that radical for what is needed today. And he was experienced that loving energy, not only for himself, but to others and that individual he did not like. I think when we speak of love, we realize it is our origin. It is who we are. It's what we've come from. It is also our final destination. And so this season serves as a reminder that we can stop pretending that there is not enough love in this world to give or to receive. As though love can somehow be diminished or squandered by the human force. Because it is a divine force, always present, always accessible, and it is always flowing without exception. You know, years ago I was in a unity class, uh, New Thought class, and with some other truth students. And uh, one of the students asked the facilitator this question. He said, well, if God is good, as you say, and this goodness is everywhere present, and you say that God is nothing but love itself, why is this love so tragically absent, not only in our lives, but across the world? Why is the courage to radiate that love openly and faithfully and without measure such a feared thing for people to do? And the instructor shared a perspective from his viewpoint that I believe has universal application. I think he did. He said, imagine. It all begins with hurt. We were all born a vessel that is flowing with this authentic and abundant love. And then maybe suddenly things changed. We weren't cared for the way that we might have been. We didn't have the attention that we craved for. Someone pointed at us. Someone judged us. Someone ridiculed us. Someone rejected us. And callous words and selfish acts left us sad and maybe scared, and we were burned. We maybe crushed or embarrassed or ashamed or smothered by misguided intentions and warped forms of selfish love. And so we began a long and steady work of closing off our hearts, protecting our light's soul, and building a high wall around what we are capable of feeling and giving. But he went on to say that love is divine. It is spiritual energy that is at this very moment present for all of us, should we choose to accept it. Accept it for ourselves, 
Send it to our so-called enemies. Send it to our family, our coworkers, the 8 billion people on the planet because there's no limit to it. It can't be bottled up or somehow suppressed. There was a clerk who was in a convenience store and he had witnessed an elderly man who had come in with his guide dog and he went to an aisle for all the Christmas and greeting cards. And he picked up a card and he held it real close to his face because he was struggling to read it. And then the clerk was about to walk over to help him out and, and then all of a sudden this big kind of burly truck driver guy came in and he had never seen him in the store before. He looked mean, he looked scary, he looked menacing. And he would learn later that uh, that person had a history of abuse and had experienced that with his father and other family members and he had a very painful history. And it led him to close off any sense of connection or love with other people. But he came to that elderly man at that moment, and he asked him if he needed assistance in reading. And then he went on to read every single greeting card out loud until the man smiled and said, when he read one, he said, that's the one. That's perfect for my wife and she's going to love it. In that instant, that man, that so-called menacing individual, was another radical for love. I think it must be our intent as mature spiritual beings that any pain in the past that we have experienced, it has nothing to do with the reality of the presence of love in this moment. Love didn't feel those things, didn't feel those arrows. Our human part did, the egoic part did. But as Charles Fillman, a co-founder of Unity, points out that this loving presence is an energy that binds us all together. It is everywhere, constantly. And so we want to be transformed by this presence and knowledge of love that is never absent from our life, only absent in our own minds. Because it hasn't gone anywhere. We simply allowed our awareness of it to be diminished. So the only question now is how well we will serve our destiny of opening up to this presence and giving it permission to flow through and as us. Now I'm asking, can we do the video? I know we had, I look like we're having some TikTok. Okay, okay, before you start, go ahead, before you start, okay. I was, uh, I don't know if you watched the World Cup. You know, I watched the World Cup. When it comes to this party, I've not watched a lot of soccer, but when it comes to the World Cup, I do check it out. Anyway, my son turned me on to TikTok, and I ran across this video, and a guy had gone to one of the World Cup matches. Start. In Qatar, I was sitting down in the stadium, looking at a view that is worthy of being put in a frame. I noticed an Iranian man and an American fan sitting side by side in peace, both cheering for their countries, hoping their team would walk out with a victory to claim. As soon as the game was over, I walked out and enjoyed the music and the other programs that were meant to entertain. I noticed a Dutch fan and an Arab man mingling, being friendly and humane. I turned around and I noticed from the crowd, people were proud of waving their flags from their countries with no fear and no shame. I took a walk and I walked under the canopy made from flags from all around the world. 
And I thought to myself, without the politics and the other BS, love can combine us and join us in peace and harmony. Because at the end of the day, we all belong to one race, the human race. And once we realize, we would realize that we're all the same. Love, Pally Boy. So Pally Boy. Pally Boy, as he calls himself, reflects the true meaning of Christmas. Anyway, as I close out for today, it's just as an aside, as we recognize that Advent serves as a reminder of what Christmas is really about. And it's interesting to note that there has always been a distinction between the teachings of Jesus and the religion about him. We're about the teachings. In the beginning, when he came around, it was about the Christ presence. That's what he taught. And it was said about the earlier years that he was going around and people were following him. You could always tell they had been around this master, or had been around the so-called Gnostics, because one, they glowed. Two, there was a sense of joy. And three, they always shared their goods with everyone. So there was a glow, there was a joy, there was a sharing. And when anyone operated from that space, you could tell they had been around those who had practiced the teachings of this master. Advent, I believe, is a reminder we want to move to that realm of awareness, that realm of consciousness, where people know by our glow. They know us by our glowing. They know us by our shining, by our generosity, by our loving, in spite of whatever may be going on around us. And if we have any diminished concept of love, it has nothing to do with what is real because it's always present and around us, abundant and flowing, as accessible now as it has ever been. It can never be diminished except within our own minds. So there's never been a time when love was not there for the giving and the receiving. And there will never be a moment when love has any more potential to heal and mature than in this moment. It can never go away. It does not diminish over time. It was and always will be ever a present, unifying something for all of humanity and for us. And I say that's what Advent is all about. That's what the Christ presence is all about. That's what Christmas is is all about. We make it the activity of our awareness today. Peace and blessings to you. We are grateful for the opportunity to share with you today and hope you've taken something from this Sunday's message. If you'd like to hear more from Spiritual Life Center, be sure to click subscribe on the podcast platform you're listening from. You can find out more about our community on our website at www.slcworld.org. We look forward to being a part of your continued spiritual journey. Wherever you are, God is, and all is well. Spiritual Life Center